It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. This week we have alumni from all over the country here in Windsor, Colorado for our Ellerslie Alumni Summit. And as a part of the summit, we thought it would be fun to take some of the Daily Thunders this week and have some of our staff speak and encourage and edify you. Before we jump into today's Daily Thunder, I just want to let you know that we have a free downloadable PDF on our Ellerslie.com website. It's called The Five Keys to Walking Through Difficulty. It was written by Eric, and if you're facing trials or circumstances or situations that you would describe as difficult, well, I would encourage you to check out these five keys of how you can walk through that difficulty well, triumphant, and as a Christian. To download that PDF, just go to the ellersley.com website, and there should be a pop-up that comes up, and you can join our email list and receive that PDF absolutely free. Well, in today's Daily Thunder, we have Philip Hartman encouraging and edifying us from the Word of God. So without further ado, here is Philip. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, the name of a Daily Thunder message this morning is Desiring a Better Country. Uh, Desiring a Better Country. Uh, And it's funny, when when I made this title, I actually wasn't thinking about all the stuff that's going on in our world today. Uh, I mean, I was, I was looking at it, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, that here we are 19 days from elections and such a tumultuous time in our country. Uh, and, and yet, I think this will be really fitting even for this time. Because we do have a burden. We have a burden, of course, for what's going on in our nation and, and around the world. But specifically here, where, where God has uh, done a special work, we have a burden for our nation. And yet, that burden doesn't flow from just us wanting better tax rates or from us wanting just a, a more conservative uh, political office or so on, but it flows from this desire for a better country. That, that's actually where it should flow from. And, and so this morning, we're going to be talking about that, uh, that yes, we desire uh, that our country would be built strong because our affections are set on another country, because our affections are, are devoted to a better uh, country, a better place. Uh, in, the, in the graduation of this last week, I, I shared a couple of things, and I'm going to start with those things. Jonathan Edwards has this quote, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Uh, that, that we would see this life through the reality of eternity. I remember once there was a, a, a preacher who used the illustration of a long rope. Imagine a rope, and this rope extends forever, okay? It keeps going on forever. And at the beginning of that rope, there's a little bit of duct tape wrapped around it. And that duct tape represents this short time known as your lifespan. And and at the end of a duct tape begins eternity. And in 10 trillion times 10 trillion times 10 trillion years from now, we will be no closer to the end of eternity than we are right now. And, And yet to recognize that what we do in this body, with this time, with the lives that God has entrusted to us, in that duct tape span of eternity, if you want to call it that, is going to impact the rest of eternity. And it's going to change reality, if you want to say it that way, uh, for the rest of eternity. Lord, would we live in light of that reality, is what Jonathan Edwards is saying. Lord, would you stamp that on our eyeballs, that whoever I look at, the people that I interact with, you know, you think about forgiveness, 
and, and uh, you think about the very worst thing possible uh, that could happen to you, and then you think about it in light of eternity, and you begin to go, okay, maybe it's not so bad. It's sort of like Ravi Zacharias. I remember him uh, saying in one of his sermons back in the day that he would say, uh, what can you do to a man, or what can you threaten a man with who's going to rise again from the dead and live for eternity? You know, it's like, I'm going to kill you. Okay. Uh, it's going to be really painful. Okay. In other words, if, if eternity is stamped on our eyeballs, how would it change our living? How would it change the way that we interact with people? How would it change the way that we speak with people and the way that we evangelize? How would it change our affections and our devotions? 2 Corinthians 4 says, For which cause we faint not. Uh, Paul is talking about the sufferings of, of ministry, the sufferings that they've gone through on behalf of the gospel. And he says, For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He didn't have this sort of moping around, self-pity, victim mentality. But he goes, hey, this light affliction. And you read his affliction, and I guarantee his light affliction will make ours look really light. Okay? <laughs> he says this light affliction, which works for us a far more eternal weight, or exceeding an eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. His eyes were fixed upon that which was not seen. Uh, if you go to Matthew chapter 6, hopefully you have your Bibles this morning because we don't have a keynote. So hopefully you have your Bibles. Go, turn with me if you can to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but, but you could bake down the chapter of Matthew chapter 6 into two different categories of people. Okay, The category of people that is living for that which is seen and the category of people that are living for that which is unseen. We're going to start in verse 1. He says, take heed that you do not do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do us your alms, and by the way, alms is, is giving, okay? Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand does that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which sees in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Isn't it interesting? If you do it for man, you have no reward from God. So he says you have no reward from a father which is in heaven. And he says, and when you pray, thou shalt be, not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter in thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which she's in secret shall reward thee openly. You see, the one category of people, they're totally living for man's applause. They're living for what man sees. They're living for what man can give them. And they give their reward. If you live for that which is visible, you'll get your reward. But there's no reward from our father in heaven for that sort of living. But if any other one, you see, he hides himself in a way in a closet where he does his alms in secret, and Jesus says his Father in heaven then rewards him openly, living in light of the invisible, not living for that which is seen, not living for the applause of man, not living for, for that which is the immediate reward, for the reward which comes from he who is unseen. Peter talks about loving the unseen. He says in 1 Peter 1, whom having not seen 
you love, in whom though now you see him not. Isn't that funny? He repeated that twice. In whom having not seen, you love. And though you have not seen him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And this whole idea of faith, right? If you go to 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. So we see this contrast of those who are walking by sight, walking by that which is visible, loving that which is invisible, rejoicing in that which is visible. And then you have on the other side, those who walk by faith, which are those who look at that which is invisible, they see that which is eternal, and they rejoice and love that which is eternal, namely Jesus Christ. That that though we have not yet seen him, we love him, and we rejoice in him with exceeding joy, because we do not walk by sight, but by faith. And of course we know that the just shall live by faith. And of course, Hebrews chapter 11 says, the substance, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I want to give you sort of a definition of faith in regards to this aspect of living for that which is eternal, that which is invisible. Faith is living according to another realm, living according to that which is not seen. Placing one's confidence in the record of God rather than that which the natural eye can perceive. And of course, Hebrews 11 then introduces faith, and then it goes through this whole chapter of men and women of faith. But I want to look at one specific aspect of this. So turn with me to Hebrews 11. We're going to spend a little bit of time here this morning looking at this idea. So Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to look at verse 13. So it's been going through these different men and women of faith, and it's talking about what they've done by faith, right? Abraham, and then it goes through Sarah, and and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and and Moses, and all these different men. But in verse 13, it sort of pauses and makes this statement, okay? And, And part of what it's talking about here is that they were all looking forward to the cross, and now, of course, we receive it by faith, looking back on it, having received that which they only look forward to. That we've received the fullness of that which they only had in promise. But it says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now you guys know, because we've talked about this at Ellerslie, but the word for confess in the Greek, is homologeo, right? And it's this idea of, of declaring your thorough alignment and agreement with the Word of God in text and in person. Uh, we've oftentimes used the illustration of a mirror here at Ellerslie. Uh, that, that if I'm looking at a mirror and I move this way, guess what? The mirror image, it moves right with me. In other words, this idea of aligning yourself, and that's where homa is the word for, for like, you could say oneness or of the same kind, okay? And then legeo is the word logos. So homologeo is this idea of being one with the word, thoroughly aligning yourself, right? Where it says, I'm wrong, I say, amen, I was wrong. And where it says, he is right, I say, amen, Jesus is right, and I believe his word. But they confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers on this earth. They, They had a declaration of their life, which was that this was not their home, but they were living for a better country, a different country, and they were simply pilgrims and strangers here on this earth. They were not natives of, of this earth. Now you recognize that Jesus so clearly was not of this world. And of course, if you're in Sandy's class, you're walking through some of that, right? 
And, and if, you're not, if you haven't done Sandy's workshop, you get another chance. So repent, and you'll get a second chance tomorrow. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, she's walking through that a little bit this week. But he was not of this earth, and you saw that so clearly, right? Even from a young age, that, that his parents were totally shocked that he's, what is he doing over in, in the temple, and, and he's talking with a priest, and he says, well, isn't that what I should be doing? Wouldn't you expect me to be doing the business of my father? It was so obvious and so clear that, that he wasn't living like a normal person of this earth, but he was a native of a different country, if you want to say it that way. That this world was not his native home. But you recognize that those who are born again, that, that we have a different lineage, a different world, and that this world is no longer our home, but we are pilgrims and strangers in this earth. And that's why the things of this world, you, you know, it says they grow strangely dim, but they grow strange to us, don't they? That the behaviors and the mindsets of this world to a person who is in Christ ought to grow strange. That it should shock us. And, and, and it should be strange to us the way that this world behaves. Jesus says in John 17, he says this. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them. This is his prayer. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So just like Jesus was not of this world... The people that he gave his word to, the disciples, were hated. Why? Because they're not of this world, just like he's not of this world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, and thy word is truth. Now, isn't it interesting, his prayer? What was his prayer? That, that, that he would keep us from evil. Because when we begin to flirt with evil or participate in evil, we, we no longer become distinguishable from this world. He says, I don't pray that you take them out, but that you would keep them in the midst of this world from evil. He says, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And in 1 Peter 2 Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. He beseeches as strangers and pilgrims. Jesus says, They're not of this world. And so the world hates them just because the world hates me. I'm not of this world, the world hates me. We're not of this world, and so the world will also hate us. But when you look at Jesus' life, it's so obvious that he's not of this world. Shouldn't it not also be obvious when people see our lives? Right? Shouldn't the declaration, the confession of our life, just like those who, who were in Hebrews 11, be that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world? That, that their affections are for another world. They're after something else. You know, one of the things that I've said quite a few times, I travel a lot for work, and usually I'm only in a hotel for maybe one or two days, and then I'll be somewhere else. And you know what's interesting? I don't ever settle down and decorate my hotel room. You know why? I'm not saying decorating your home is bad, okay? I'm not saying that. Uh, but, but I don't do that because I'm a stranger and a pilgrim there. Jesus says that's the way that we should be towards this world. But yeah, it's not bad to decorate your house or something like that. I'm not saying that. But that our affections aren't of the things of this world. Our mind's not set on the things of this world. 
But here's what Hebrews 11 says, we desire a better country. So continuing on, in verse 14, it says, For they that say such things, and, and, and what things, remember? That they are pilgrims and strangers, because this comes right after verse 13. They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from where they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Isn't that an interesting statement? He says, they're confessing they're, they're pilgrims and strangers, and those who confess themselves and pilgrims and strangers, they're saying very clearly that they're after something better. They're seeking after a country. But if they'd been thinking or mindful of that country from whence they came, they would have had opportunity to re return. You know this word mindful in the Greek? It's the same word that Jesus used when Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Guys, remember that? What, a, what an odd thing for Jesus to say. Remember Lot's wife. That's something to be mindful of. Because you know what's interesting about Lot's wife? She was mindful of the country from when she came, wasn't she? In other words, yeah, she was going with Lot because she, she didn't want to get killed, right? She wanted to escape destruction, but her mind and her affections were totally still for Sodom and Gomorrah. And sometimes we can have this same thing, right? Yeah, I want to escape that, but, but, but my mind and my affections and my heart is still for this world. And, and, and he says they would have had opportunity to return. But you see, they, that wasn't them. So continuing on in verse 15, or sorry, verse 16, it says, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. You see, they, they weren't mindful of the things of this world. They, they weren't mindful of the country from whence they came. Why? Because they're entire focus was on the better country, the heavenly country. They were totally focused upon that which is eternal and not that which is, which is temporal. And as a result, they wouldn't turn back, right? Just like, like Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says a little bit later, we are not amongst those who turn back or draw back, is what he says. But he says this, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That, that as believers, they were looking forward to that which was to come. And, and they were setting their mind on the better country, on the heavenly country. And as a result, God was not ashamed to be called their God. And he had prepared a city for them. is that an interesting phrase? God is not ashamed to be called their God. And you see this, this in all the writings of the apostles over and over, that we would live and walk pleasing to him. That we would live and, and walk, you could say, in such a way that God would not be ashamed to be called our God. That we would live in light of the reality of who he is and in light of the invisible God and the kingdom which is to come. And as a result, that he could look at our lives and say, I am unashamed to call them my people and I am their God. They desired a better country, a heavenly country, and they were living in light of that reality, and therefore God was not ashamed to be called their God. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What is our confession? Colossians 3 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, 
Set your affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And, and wouldn't it make sense that his, his logical statement here is, if you're risen of Christ, right? That, that if you are truly hidden in Christ, where Christ is our life, is sitting at the right hand of God, wouldn't it follow that you would set your affections there? Wouldn't it follow that all your desire and all of your hope would be caught up in, in that better country? That that would be where our affections are? He says, set your affections on things above and not on the things on the earth. So one of the things that I did to remind myself of this reality uh, there's a, a really big graveyard uh, in Fort Collins. In fact, I sort of enjoy graveyards. That's maybe an odd thing. Uh, I, I, <laughs> uh, this was probably not very delicate of me, uh, but I remember on one of my first uh, dates with Emily, I was like, oh, you want to go for a walk? And so we're driving around Fort Collins, and we were going to go to this like, little Arabic restaurant, and I was like, oh, we've got some extra time. Why don't we go for a walk? And I was like, oh, perfect. We can we could go for a walk here. And we're walking through the graveyard. I didn't think anything of it. I, 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 so, and later she was like, yeah, that was a little odd. I mean, I enjoyed it, but uh, that was odd. Uh, <laughs> you don't really imagine, you know, one of your first dates uh, being in a graveyard. Uh, but, but we walked around and read the grave. It's sort of fun to, to read. Have you guys ever done that, walked around a graveyard and read gravestones? It's really fun. It, you know, you get to see a little bit. Uh, I, I've always wanted to put on my gravestone like something like, one day I'm going to bust up through this thing. Wouldn't that be a, I, I think that'd be a really fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, so I found one that just said Hartman on it. It didn't say anything else. It just said Hartman, which, of course, is my last name. So I took a picture of it and framed it. Uh, and <laughs> Emily also found that a little odd. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I put it up in my, in my office as a reminder of, of the reality that, that when I'm in that gravestone, I, I, I'm going to meet my king. And, and, and I'm preparing myself every single day to meet him. Right? This is living in light of that which is invisible and not in light of that which is visible. So, so I, I remind myself of that gravestone to go, Philip, you're going to meet him. You don't know when, but it's going to be really soon. We know that much, right? James says life is like a vapor, which means when you took your shower this morning and, you know, the vapor sort of, boom, like that. And we're going to meet our king. And so Peter says this. He says, but the day of the Lord, this is 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth. Right? See this parallel? In, in light of this all being burned up, what manner of people ought you to be? Nevertheless, this isn't where our hope is. We're looking for a new heavens and a new earth, a better country that is a heavenly country, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That is our hope. Wherefore, beloved, 
seeing that you look for such things, seeing that your hope is in such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Without spot and blameless. And so in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives a parable and Jesus says, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he fought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where it, wherein to bestow my fruits. And he said, This I will do. I will, put down my bar, I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Did you guys notice something? This man didn't actually do all that. He just thought about doing it. Right? He says this. He says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods later for many years. He, he just thought about doing it. And then God says, comes to him at night and says, thou fool, because you are not rich towards God. Are we rich towards him? Are we rich in the grace of God and abounding with joy, exceeding joy and love towards him? Or are we building barns and looking to take our ease and to eat and a drink? And so, I want to talk just really quickly about the first coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in Luke 2, says this, And she brought forth Mary, her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Okay? So she lays him in a manger because there's no room in the end. Now, a little bit later in that chapter, we see this contrast of the reception of Christ. And it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up, him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And, 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 and then it continues on. And, and you see Anna of a prophetess. And we won't read about that, but she was waiting. So you have these two people. You have Simeon and Anna, and they were waiting, and they were ready, and they were prepared. And then you have most of them who are totally unprepared, totally not expecting it. And there was no room for them. And so here's my question for you. How will it be at the second coming? We know how it was at the first coming, and so we ought to take heed, right? We ought to be careful, because we know this is our propensity we know that our propensity is just like in the days of Noah to be getting married and eating and drinking and building houses and doing our thing. And yet not be like Simeon and Anna who are watching for the coming of the Lord. May we be ready. May we be those who are looking and hastening unto that day, being diligent that we would be found in peace and blameless in him. Because he says, surely I come quickly. That's the Lord Jesus Christ talking. He says, surely I come quickly. Amen. This is how he closes the book of God. 
And so we ought to take heed and be ready. And as the Apostle Peter says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, looking unto the invisible, living for not that which is, which is visible, that which is temporal, but that which is invisible, that which is eternal. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? What manner of persons ought we to be? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would live in light of this reality. Lord, that you would stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Lord, that we would be diligent to be found in you, not having our own righteousness, which is of Allah, but the righteousness which comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would, like Paul was able to say, be able to say ourselves that we finished the race. Lord, that we would live in light of the reality of facing you. That we would daily be preparing ourselves, just like Jesus said in a parable of the servants who prepared to receive their master. Lord, that we would be actively and diligently preparing ourselves to meet you. That we would have the confession of our lives, just like the men and women of faith of old, that we are pilgrims and strangers. Lord, we do have a burden for this country. But Lord, we have a burden for this country because we desire that souls would be saved and would know about that better country, that heavenly country. Lord, I pray that our affections would be found wrapped up in that which is above and that, that which is of this earth. Lord, we love you. Prepare us, Lord, to meet you. In Jesus' name, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.